You have to turn it on here for it to work up there. <clears throat> All right. Good morning again. Good to see you. Uh, I was reminded that the last two preachers didn't preach as long as they should have, you know, so they gave me some extra time uh, this morning. Uh, I appreciate them doing that for me. I want to think about um, godly habits this morning as, as, as a lot of times the new year just affords us to think, what do I want to do different or what do I want to do better in the coming year? Um, as I was trying to ponder that question and think about it, one of the questions that came to my mind was, or scriptures that came to my mind was Isaiah 53. Uh, it says, all of us are like sheep and we go astray. Each of us have wandered to our own way. So in the past year, yes, we've fallen. We've gotten off track. We've gone astray. How can we get back on track? How can we have a better year this year than the year before. Um, if we've gone astray into sin and we stay in that path of sin, at the end of our days, what we have to share is a sin story. And I don't want any of us just to have a sin story. I want us to have a success story. So how can we get back on track and be successful in the things that God is calling us to be successful? Wouldn't it be neat if... if, if uh, if we could spend all of our days glorifying our God and what he's called us to do and truly enjoying him with the joy he's designed for his children. God has designed joy for us and success for us. So I began to just think through what was it that Jesus really taught his disciples. And I saw a consistent uh, command that was given to them that I hope you've heard as well. When Jesus started his uh, earthly ministry, he comes to, to um, uh, Andrew and Peter and says, follow me. And they leave their nets. They were fishermen. And they follow. A little while later, he comes to Matthew. Follow me. Matthew, tax collector, leaves his tax collector table and follows Jesus. Then he comes to Levi, another one, and says, follow me. And they follow him. And that went on and on until Jesus got his 12 disciples. He just commanded them, I want you to follow me. And it's almost like the mother duck leading the little ducklings, and they're following along, and they're just following what he does, what he says, where he goes. And that got them on track. It got them where they needed to be, consistent with their calling, doing what they needed to do to begin to establish God's church. When we get off of that track, we all have a calling from God, and he comes to us, and he says, follow me. I remember the first time I heard those words, and I heard them from Luke 9.23. And I could almost hear audibly Jesus saying, David, do you want to follow me? And I'm saying, yeah, I do. He says, well, then take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Luke 9, 23, follow me. Well, what happens when I fall down and I don't follow successfully? Look at David's response to that, Psalm 51. When David fell, and you know the, the big fall in David's life was uh, using the, the uh, psalm that Dale read to us earlier, one of the verses, the last verse Dale read in Psalm 119 was, keep my eyes from looking at worthless things. Well, David started looking at a wife that wasn't his own. And that led to a great fall in his life, committing adultery and then later murder, and led to terrible things. So he's off course. A man after God's own heart. And he says this after that event in Psalm 51 Verse 11, it says, cast me not away from your presence. Take, me, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Perhaps you're one that you feel like you've, you've fallen in the past year. You're not really on track like you ought to be then pray the prayer of David. It's like David is saying, Lord, I've fallen, but I don't want, I've fallen off course, but I don't want to have fallen out of your good grace. Cast me not away. I fell down, and I sinned, 
and I messed up, but restore to me the joy. It's not fun living in sin. And I want that joy returned to me. I want to again follow you. If that's your passion, it's my passion. I want to follow Christ. Then where is he leading us? And if you look at those early disciples through the New Testament, you see that he leads all of them to three or four godly practices that they perform day in and day out. And those disciplines are what really guarantee their success. And those four godly disciplines are prayer, abiding in God's Word, and active participation or engagement in God's church. And I see it time and time again, whether people are having problems with parenting, whether they're having problems honoring the parents, whether they're having problems with adultery and fornication and pornography, whether they're having troubles in business and finance, whether they're having troubles in marriage, whether they're having troubles with eating disorders, mental issues, whatever. Well, tell me about your godly disciplines. And you're seeing an absence of these three godly disciplines. That these three godly disciplines get them back on track and lead them on a course towards success. You'll see that even in the scripture as you start looking them up and evaluating them. And I said, I want us to, I want us just to think about these three godly disciplines that the people of Christ, the Christ followers, all have. I mean, you can be one of those 12 disciples. Jesus says, hey, follow me. And where did they follow him? They begin to see real quickly. He gets up early and he, he walks off to a mountain. And they track him down. What are you doing? Just praying. He, go, he said it was his habit to go off often and pray. And he had that habit so much that his disciples, you know the story, the Lord's Prayer. The disciples eventually say, hey, could you teach us that? That seems to be a discipline we need to learn. And he said, yeah, that's the intent. And he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know the prayer. And he works them through that and begins to put within them a discipline of regular prayer. A habit they needed, we need. Then later on, as he begins to teach, he's constantly quoting Scripture. And he's using the Bible all the time. And he, he, he finally tells them, he says, I'm like the vine Jonathan preached on a few weeks ago. You're the branches. You have to abide in me, and my word has to abide in you, or you won't bear fruit. You won't be successful. You won't get where you're supposed to go. You won't fulfill your calling. So in addition to prayer, I want to add to your discipline abiding in my word. And then as the disciples continue following him, they notice that Jesus never does life alone. Never. The prayer told you that. He's always in unity with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. There's this tri-unity. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in constant fellowship with one another. And they attach themselves to us and us to them. That we may be one. He says, I want you to be one in fellowship with your God and with His people. So to prayer... And to abiding in God's word is this community of faith that he gave to the disciples, that he already demonstrated in his own um, essence as God. So as that develops in those three years of ministry, the disciples following Jesus, 
Watch it blow up. Look at Acts chapter 2. So these aren't random disciplines when you get to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, that just emerge on the scene. Acts chapter 2. Let me back up to verse 41. Peter's been preaching, saying the good news of Christ. He's, He's risen. He's building his church. Verse 41 of Acts 2 says, And so those who received his word, those who were listening to the preacher and saying, I get it, I'm with you, they were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves, notice four things here, the apostles' teaching, that's abiding in the word, fellowship, that's engagement in church community, and it's developed out here, and then the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, the breaking of bread, I haven't mentioned it up till now, which is why I said there's three or four godly disciplines. The breaking of bread, I think, is the communion meal, the Lord's Supper. You don't have to develop a, a habit of eating, right? You kind of want to do that, need to do that. They were already eating bread, but something that's added to their devotion was the breaking of bread in this fellowship, this communion meal that was done often every time they gathered as the church. And now your elders have made that easy for you. That habit is given to us every Sunday. You just have to show up. So if you're engaged in the Christian community that's doing the Lord's Supper every week, you will have that habit. And I'll talk about when we get to the Lord's Supper in a little bit. um, Why did God choose that to be a habit for us? And how it also guarantees our success. But let's think about these three that they were... The church is devoted. means they're constantly doing them. 3,000 people. How do you get 3,000 people constantly doing the same thing? On the first day of their salvation. The disciples had been trained in these things for three years. They said, what must we do to be saved? They were told, now what? They were told, and so they were devoted to prayer, to abiding in God's word, and to the fellowship of the saints. They are engaged together, meeting week to week to love one another, to abide in God's Word together, to hear God's Word together, and to pray together. These disciplines are part of the habit of the early church, and they have been true to the followers of Christ ever since. So if you don't have these three things as your regular disciplines, you're off course. You've gone astray. You're not following the example of Christ or the example of His church. So I'm just saying, let's get back on track. We can do that. We can see this is something God wants us to do, and it will bless us with the success that God wants us to have in the callings that He's given. Let's look at each one just a little bit. The surveys I read, which are disappointing, but it's hard to do a survey of the the American church because people define terms so differently as to whose church and who's of faith and what people really believe. But this survey statistically say of all the churches in America, only about 30% of the people in the churches are regularly reading their Bibles, regularly praying, regularly engaged as and participants in church membership and the church life. I don't know how accurate those surveys are, but I know I want to be in the 30%. I don't want to be in any other percent if that's the percent doing those things, okay? I want to be following Christ. These are the right habits, regardless of the survey, the percentage of people doing them. These are the right habits. These are the habits of the followers of Christ. Let's think about prayer. Look at Luke 18. Great parable on prayer that Jesus is teaching, and he gives just an extended illustration as this parable. Luke 18, verse 1 says, And he told them a parable to the effect. 
that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So he said, I want you to pray all the time. You might not see immediate results, so don't lose heart, but I still want you to pray all the time. And then he gives this illustration of a, uh, a widow lady coming to a judge asking for something, and he doesn't want to give it to her, but he, she, she just keeps asking and keeps asking and keeps asking and keeps asking. And finally the judge says, I just need to give it to her to get her off my case. And then Jesus says, when God comes back, when I come back on earth, will I find faith like that? Well, I find you praying like that. You're just asking and asking and asking. You're always asking. He says, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want you to do. I want you to pray to the extent that you feel like you're bothering God. You're praying so much. Are you praying that kind of prayer always? Another one on prayer. Look at Luke. Excuse me, that was Luke. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians. Many of us have new Bibles. I'm going to try to break them in this morning, okay? Give you a lot of places to look. Philippians 4, verse 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So you're supposed to pray always. Now, Philippians, you're supposed to pray about everything without exception. It says, make requests. Let God know your needs for everything. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Very short, simple verse. Pray, three words. Pray without Ceasing. Hope you're seeing my trend. Intentionally pick these passages. When you're talking about prayer, when do I need to pray? Pray all the time. Luke 18. Pray about everything. Philippians 4. 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray without ceasing. It's a daily conversation. Constant conversation. All the time conversation. God is your constant companion. You're always talking to God without ceasing. Letting Him be a part of everything you do. You are part of what He wants you to do. And then one other passage, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Four and five says, Everything created by God is good. Nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Okay, it says, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And we'll get to the word of God in a minute, but prayer sanctifies. Prayer cleanses you. Prayer gets you right. So if you're praying about all things, if you're praying all the time, if you're praying constantly, it's washing you. And cleansing you. And sanctifying you. Because God's speaking to you as you're speaking to God. And he's directing you into that which is good and right and holy. See, that's success. It's just the discipline of prayer is bringing you back on track. Directing you to be where God wants you to be. Let's look at the habit of God's word. Look at John chapter 8. Verse 31, John 8, verse 31, 32. Interesting little dialogue. Jesus in John is teaching his disciples. There are those who believe in him and those who believe in him. There's two categories of believers Verse 31 of John 8 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. There are people, obviously, who don't believe. He's speaking to a crowd of Jews, and there's a, in that crowd are people who believe. And he says, let's take this to another level. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then you really believe. So I know you believe, but I want you to really believe. 
And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A lot of people use that phrase for different things. The truth will set you free. Take it out of context, and the context is this dwelling down into God's Word on a deeper level, not just the cursory reading. That crowd already had that. Listen, yeah, I like what he says. I believe it. Let's take that further. If you really believe it, you're abiding in it. You're living it. You're in the Word of God in a regular way. John, uh, like I said, Jonathan preached on this a few weeks ago, but let's look at it again. John 15. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, it is, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, it's like, let me fill that out a little bit, and my words are in you, and abide in you, then pray. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But One more verse, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You see, now you're a follower. You're true, truly Christ. If you are praying, and it gives a wonderful connection here of, of effective, fruitful prayer, the prayer, you abide in me, my words abide in you, then you ask according to the word. So you're asking God for things that are already in agreement with God's will. So God answers that prayer. And you bear fruit. And the fruit's holy and righteous, so that proves you are followers of God and not just following your own devices and your own sin. And you see how prayer and the Word go together. But disciplines that God's teaching His church, His people, that we should always be praying, that we should be abiding in His Word, and not on, again, a shallow level. Let me give you another verse. Because we just did some singing. And this is how we're supposed to sing. Folks, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And what you're going to see is, is the connection between abiding in God's Word and singing. And they're, they're supposed to go together and not be separate. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So the Word of God, how is it supposed, it's supposed to be so richly a part of us? We are abiding in it to such a degree we can share it with one another. We can talk to one another. We can sing to one another about what we're getting from the Word of God. That's the extent in which he's talking about abiding in God's Word. 1 Peter 2, verse 2. I can see I've, I've got a lot more scripture than I probably have time, so I won't turn to that one. 1 Peter 2, verse 2 says, We're supposed to hunger and thirst for the Word of God like a baby thirsts for her mother's milk. That's the habit God wants us to have. That as we wake up and we start praying... The Word of God starts directing us, and we want more of it and more of it and more of it, and we hunger and we thirst for it. So it's not just a little habit. I love reading through the Bible every week and every year all the way through, but I don't want to read just to check off the box. I want to read to be devoted to it, to be absorbed by it, to be dwelling in it to such a degree that I can share it and it directs me as well. So we've looked at prayer. We've looked at the Word. Let's look at church a minute. Let's look at the famous passage, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, as we think about church life. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
if not, uh, and not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we need, we need to recognize first, he says, there's a habit of some people that's, that aren't doing church. We don't want that habit. Let us not forsake the assembling. When the elders call for an assembly, let's show up. Let's be a part. Some people are not showing up. And it's interesting. It's, it's, it's really strong stuff here. Go one more verse. For, verse 26. For if we go on sinning, well, what will be the sin? What, what's the context? If we go on sinning. The only sin that's been described is this people who have not been habitually in the assembly. So if you just go back one verse, if, if we go on forsaking the assembly, if we go on outside of church body life, what's happening? Deliberately, after receiving the knowledge, you have the knowledge that this is the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. By the way, that's a theme. You can follow through the scripture, God's, the value God puts on his church. He says, I don't want people messing with my church, and I don't want the church forsaking the church, because I consider the church to be my bride. And I'm working with my church to present her to my father without spot or blemish. So, you can see why the language is so strong that you mess with my bride, you're off course and not going to heaven because that's the people for whom I died. And they matter greatly to me. And they have a purpose that's significant and valuable. Showing you some of that purpose, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is why we can't forsake the assembly because of the way God has designed us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you get some of that design. Let me just give it to you real quick. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, same spirit, and there are a variety of services, but the same Lord, and there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each, just looking at his church, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for all, for the common good. So you've been given a gift for the rest of us. I've been given a gift for the rest of us. We've all been given a gift for the rest of us. And so he keeps that argument going. I'm just skipping into it instead of giving it all to you. Let's skip over to say um, verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members. So your church member, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. So He gave us all, He chose certain gifts for each of us. We all have one, and we have it for each other. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So that's how God structured the church. We're members of one another. We need each other. We cannot possibly grow. We're indispensable parts of one another. We can't grow if we're not all together. We all have to be here doing our part, singing to one another, encouraging one another, admonishing one another, showing one another the example of Christ in our lives for our encouragement. We all have these parts. And God says, I can't look at any single one of you and say you would be better off single or better off outside. You must be in here. I need you here. You're indispensable. Your part is significant. It's value. It builds the body of Christ up. So we have to be dwelling in God's word, dwelling in prayer, and dwelling in the church. Those are the disciplines God given us because I need all of your gifts to sanctify me just as you need my gift to sanctify you. We are indispensable parts of the same body of Christ, members one of another. And that's what God 
is teaching us here. Um, so you say, and that's why they were devoted to these things. It's crucial. Well, are your godly disciplines shining bright? Are you strong where you need to be strong in these disciplines? If not, the job you have, and also mentioned earlier, I guess I think it was in Dale's prayer as well, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just like David in, in Psalm 51. If you're off course, your job is confession. Say, God, I, you know, I haven't been devoted, a devoted follower in the word, in prayer, in church, as I should. Confess that. God says, that I will cleanse you. I want to cleanse you. That's what he wants to do for his church, to get us all back on track. If, um, if you're like me, I struggled with some of these disciplines for a while because I was not in a place where anybody was teaching me. I was not in a teaching church when I got saved. And I had to grope about, so to speak, in darkness to find out what, what does a follower of Christ do. If that's your story as well, and say, I've never had anybody teach me what it was to follow Christ. You're hearing it now. And you can learn it now. You need a habit of prayer, talking to God about everything, all the time, without ceasing, and God will bless you. You need a habit of getting into God's Word. And God's Word's going to sanctify you. It's going to direct you. I mean, it doesn't matter your calling. You've got a question about what to do in business today. You've got a question about what to do in sales. You've got a question about what to do in your marriage or how to parent your child or how to live with your spouse or whatever. You start reading God's Word and you watch Him direct you. And He speaks to you and you speak to Him. And when that's not enough, you come to the church and you get in the groups and with the people of God and say, I'm struggling here. And you find God direct you through the gifts and the life and the prayers of the church. And you find great success. I didn't give you, I gave you several verses, but it's coming to my mind now. Somebody needs to hear this. Psalm 1, if you haven't memorized your Psalm 1, do so. Great psalm that says that you don't walk, you don't stand, you don't follow the ways of the world, but you get into God's Word every day, you meditate on it day and night, and you will be like a tree that's firmly planted by streams of water, and you're going to grow stronger and stronger, and you're going to bear fruit for God in season. You're going to have success through prayer, through God's Word, and through God's church, those are God's tools for us. So if you don't have that, you don't have to get there by yourself. God wants to help you. That's good news. God wants us to be his followers. He wants to teach us. Let's look at a great uh, passage. Matthew chapter uh, 7. Jesus says, ask, verse 7, Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And the one who knocks will be opened. That's guaranteed for these three disciplines. We have the time to develop that. I think you'd find that to be true. That if you ask for a discipline of prayer, you will find, you'll get it. If you seek to abide in God's Word, it will happen. If you knock on the door of church, it will be open to you. Now, all of these verbs are present imperatives. It means they're commands. You must do this. And present tense means you must do it continually. You must be continually asking. You must be continually seeking. You must be continually knocking. So continually ask God, God, speak to me. I'm speaking to you. Show me how to pray. And again, I said, you don't have to do this 
on your own. God wants to get you there. Look at Romans 8, verse 26, real quick. Just one on prayer. Romans 8. And if you were with me in the Romans series, I went over this, but and I'm getting back to Romans to finish it up next week, Lord willing. But Romans 8, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the, script, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What does that mean? You say, God, I, you tell me I need to pray about everything all the time, all the days of my life. I don't know how to do that. God says, that's okay, I'll help you. What? Yeah, I, I, I know you, you probably want to be respectful and make good arguments and say good prayers, and you're struggling. I don't really know how to pray very well. God says, I got it. I got that. Just, just pour out your heart. Just tell me what's on your heart. I'm going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to take your words, and He's going to translate your words into God talk. Just like God speaking to God. But you just pour out your heart. I got it. I got it. You don't even have to pray good prayers. Just pray them. Pray, pray, pray. Let it be a discipline. I will help you. Ask, and you will find this to be something that absolutely revolutionizes your life. So ask, and it will be given to you. It's a guaranteed success story here. Seek. Seek God's Word. And you're going to get success and blessing. I'll give you a verse for it. Look at Isaiah 55. The promised success of God's Word when you get into it. Isaiah 55 starts with an illustration then gives us the guarantee. Verse 10 and 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Here's the guarantee. So, just the same way, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and I shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. I mean, great illustration because it's coming from God. God says, who gives you rain? I do. When I give rain, I have a purpose for that rain. You can see it with your own eyes. It accomplishes what I purpose. Who gives the word? He says, I do. It's my revelation to man. And I have a purpose for my word. It will accomplish what I intend. I intend to sanctify you and to grow you through the word. It will work. You just have to get into it. You have to open it. You have to listen to it. You're guaranteed success from it. This is your guaranteed success from prayer. You'll have a success story, not a sin story. And then love the church and engage the church as a church member. Um, going back to that prayer, just knock, and it will be open to you. A lot of people have some tough church stories where they feel like they've been abused or hurt or neglected somehow in the church. And it's keeping people out of church. But you need the church. And the church needs you. Knock on that door again. And again and again until it's open to you. Until you find yourself to be a vital part of the church. When I asked people today, I said, you know, why are you not a church, an active participating church member? That's a discipline God wants for us. It's a devotion of all of his followers. Well, you know, I'm not sure I believe. I don't, I don't believe I line up on that election stuff or that predestination stuff. Or I don't, I don't line up on the, the, the way you do communion. Or I don't line up on um, the emphasis on teaching. Or I don't line up on parenting skills. I mean, people just go on and on and on with different stuff. Usually people only have one or two. But I'm, I'm giving you a smorgasbord of all I've heard. And when I go back and pray about that and think about that, 
And, and, and just imagine hearing God speak to you. God says, what? That's all you got? That's all you got? I am building my church. And you trying to thwart that plan because you disagree with one of the doctrines. Or you think they're misunderstanding the doctrine and you got it right. And that's all you got? You don't think the church is big enough for people to get together and disagree? And still grow? And be sharpened? And become of one mind? So you're going to thwart the plan of building my church because you have one misunderstanding. Or they have one misunderstanding. That's all you got. Don't think it's a very big deal to God, do you? Really? When God says, the gates of hell won't prevail against my church. And I die for my church. And I'm building my church. And I need people to disagree in my church so that you become one. I didn't save you as already one. You're so diverse. You've got to get together and engage one another. For some reason, we've created this mentality. The church should already be perfect. No, none of us are. That's why we so badly need one another. And to be engaged with one another. And not apart from one another. That's why we can't do church independently or virtually. Because it's, it's against the nature of the church. We must be together to sharpen one another and to grow as God wants us to grow. And we've got to have disagreements or we wouldn't, we're already perfect. We know we're not there. So let's, let's get back into these disciplines that God has given to us so that we grow. Um, now, I've given you the three godly habits and a fourth is coming. But... Those habits, that's not my end goal, okay? I don't want you to go out of here and think that's all David wants for you. As your pastor, I do want you to have these as disciplines. But the discipline is a means to an end. The goal is not Bible study. The goal is not prayer. And the goal is not church, active church membership participation. The goal is Jesus. And I want you to see that. Romans 8, verse 29, gives us the true goal that God has in our life. He says, for those whom he foreknew, so those he loved before time, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He says, the reason I sent Christ to die and be the firstborn from the dead and rise was to come back and save you, to conform you to his image. My goal is that you are Christian. You're a little Christ. You begin to act and think and live like Christ. You're Christ followers. That's the goal. Now, guess what? If you pray all the time, if you get into the Word all the time, you have a good discipline there, if you get into the church every week and engage there, what happens? You are saturated with Jesus. Christ floods over you in prayer, over you in His Word, over you in His church. And you become conformed more and more to the image of Christ. The disciplines is what gets you in shape. It's what gets you on track. But the goal was not the disciplines. The goal was Christ all along. And I've known legalistic people who can do the disciplines. And they miss Jesus. It's like walking to work and all of a sudden you notice somebody puts up a sign shortcut yeah that's cool i'm gonna try that so you try and sure enough it is a shortcut it's a beautiful path it's got beautiful flowers and somebody's got a table with free coffee 
You take that shortcut every day. It's amazing to me. People can take the shortcut and never meet the person who created it. Who provides the flowers and provides the free coffee and provides the wonderful path. And it's the same way God's created the prayer for us. God's created His revelation, His word for us. God's created His church for us. And a lot of people can get into those disciplines and miss God. That's not His intent. And that's not my intent with showing it to you. I want you, that's why I'm not giving you a lot of specifics right now today on how to develop those disciplines in a very precise way because there's a diverse way to do it. And any discipline just starts with a little bit and you grow. Look at again one other. I got time. I got it 20 extra minutes, right? First John, just kidding. I won't go that long. First, um, First John chapter, no, excuse me, First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. So that's what I've been trying to do for you. Verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I want to give you godly training. I want to train you in godliness. Bodily exercise, it's just marginally profitable is what Scripture says compared to godly discipline. Are you trained in, dis- in, in the disciplines of God? I think, I'm going to guess. Has everybody, has anybody not ever tried to push up? Has everybody tried to push up maybe once? Okay, everybody's tried it. I'm not asking if you could do one. If you've tried one, and you've never tried one before, you probably didn't succeed, right? So you say, do you have to have your knees off the ground to do a push up? Well, I can't do it that way. So you put your knees on the ground. And then, uh, yeah. You get it, right? So you go down, uh, and you fall. And you go down again, and you fall. If you just push, push, push every day, you push every day for five days, or 10 days, or 20 days. I don't know. It depends on your constitution. But you know, and I think agree with me, if I do that, for 20 days. Eventually, I'm not falling down. Eventually, I'm just going up. And if you do that, the second time you fall, if you do it again, the next day, you can do two. And then maybe down the road, you can do 10. I don't know. The same is true of these disciplines. Prayer and Bible and church. You do it the first time and say, I didn't get much. God says it's a devotion. Stay with it. And you do it a second day and a third day and a fourth day and a fifth day and a tenth day and a twentieth day and a hundredth day. And in your season, you bear fruit. And it's not long and people say, how do you know this stuff? How do you get this direction? How is it you always succeed? Why is God answering your prayers? And these disciplines are leading you to Jesus. And you find you're on the path with Jesus. And Jesus has you by his hand. Jesus has you in his church. Jesus is speaking in your ear. He's transforming your heart. And you have guaranteed success for eternity in Christ. John 17, verse 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you. I want you to know Jesus and him 
who he reveals. And through these disciplines, you know Christ. I don't care if you can do a push-up. Marginal benefit. No guarantee for success for your life because you can do a push-up. But God says these godly disciplines are a guaranteed path to success. Guaranteed. And if you do life the way God intends his followers to do life, there's a guaranteed success. Maybe nobody's ever told you how to follow Christ. I'm telling you, follow Christ. This is how you do it. And it's a success story every time and not a sin story. Let me pray. Father, it's so easy in this world to be off course, not even thinking about our eternal destination and not even a a clue of whether we will arrive successfully. May it not be so of those here in this room or those here in my voice. Lord, may those who have not been following Christ at all get on track this morning. Come to Christ. May they come turning from sin, receive you, and start the disciplines that puts them on the path of righteousness all of their days. Lord, this is, this is the word of God. This is life. This is training in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly furnished, equipped, and ready. Forgive us, Lord, where we have strayed. Grant us the discipline each day to do life as you have called us. And Lord, raise us up as your followers. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.